Let's open up to Job chapter 26 today, and uh, we are going to we're going to finish our lesson today on the uh, on the judgment seat of Christ. Next week, remember, uh, since it's going to be kind of like our Christmas Sunday, uh, we're having a uh, time over at the Christie's. We're going to have communion next Sunday morning, and uh, we'll dedicate the service to that. And we'll uh, just kind of take that Sunday and just enjoy our fellowship together and, you know, bring some visitors if you can, and we'll just have a good time. And also, don't forget, no, I'm not really pushing at this particular moment because we've got uh, so much on the plate, but don't forget our New Year's Eve uh, we're going to have over at the uh, Metcalf's. And uh, Grandma's opened up her house again, and we're going to have a great time there. We'll have a Bible study for a couple hours. We'll have some food and some fun time, and we'll just be a good time to bring in the new year. And that's the night we want to really focus on, you know, bringing some visitors, maybe some lost people, people that are looking for churches, and just try to bring them in, and we can minister to them and, and try to open up the door of the Word of God to them. So uh, be praying about that. Be thinking about that. I know there's a lot going on right now in your uh, own individual lives and with your uh, Christmases and family and all of that. But uh, we'll be uh, looking forward to having a good time. I always like, I'm always glad when Christmas is over. I mean, I like Christmas, but it's always such a pressure time, just such a, uh, you know, even though New Year's is coming, it's like when Christmas is over, you can just breathe, you know, and then you take that day after Christmas and go out and commit suicide by running to all the stores, trying to get all the sales. But after you get that out of your system, you know, and then you can just kind of kick back. So we'll have fun that night. I'm looking forward to it. I look forward to New Year's. Eve and the Bible with you guys more than I do even just Christmas because Christmas is just so hectic. I just, you know, I just think we need to spread it out. You need to have Christmas on three days in a row so you can get it, get it out, work it out. You know, don't just have one day. Celebrate the birth of Jesus on the 23rd, the 24th, and the 25th. If I was president, that's what I would do. But anyway, Job chapter 26. Now today is going to be a, going to be a great lesson, not because I'm teaching it, uh, but because we're going to really deal with some things today that uh, really are going to help you understand some things. And um, as you know, we've been talking about the six questions that God is going to ask at the judgment seat of Christ. Six questions that are going to be probably going to show up that you and I are going to have to deal with. And yet at the same time, uh, they're incredible because they really open up all kinds of spiritual avenues that we can study and really understand as, uh, as believers. And we talked about how that the first one was, has, uh, how hast thou helped him without power? Talking about an unsaved man. Then it talked about how savest the arm that have no strength. We focused on that being a picture of a young Christian, but somebody that really uh, has no strength as far as living for God. Then we talked about how hast thou counseled him that without wisdom. We talked about the fact that, uh, you know, uh, dealing with people in their problems and dealing with all kinds of people that get into all kinds of conflicts in their life because they don't do what's right with the Word of God or maybe they don't know what to do with the Word of God. Then we talked about how hast thou plentifully declared the thing as it is. We talked about the responsibility of preaching the truth of the Word of God. Last week we talked about the blockbuster to whom hast thou uttered words and we saw the reality of all that we say. And, uh, the, you know, things that we, uh, that we don't even think about. I mean, who would ever think of the fact that someday every word you ever spoke would show up at the judgment seat of Christ and you'd have to listen to it again? And uh, it's an incredible concept. And I don't understand all the ins and outs of it, but I know this. I know that, uh, I know that the Bible says that God's going to bring every, every word into account and we're going to 
give an account for it someday if we don't cover it down here in the blood of Christ. And that's the beauty of, of confessing your sin to the Lord. I told you when we started this that there's three judgments that really relate to the Christian. At the cross of Calvary, you're judged as a sinner. No question about it. It's not a question of are you a sinner or are you not a sinner. Once you get, once Christ died on the cross, a righteous, perfect man dying, he judged every person on the face of this planet that ever had lived, was living then, or lived after as a guilty sinner. When you trust Christ as your own personal Savior, your sin is dealt with. And you're no longer a sinner in God's sight. You're now His Son. And on this earth, while you're living as a Christian today, uh, you are judged as a son. That's why the Bible says that when we sin, and we all sin, that's why the Bible says that if we're faithful and just to confess our sin, that He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And now uh, we come to the third aspect of the judgment. We've been on this now, the judgment seat of Christ. There you're not going to be judged as a sinner. There you're not going to be judged as a son, but you're going to be judged as a servant. And you're going to give an account, I'm going to give an account for what we did after we were saved, given the knowledge that's found in the Word of God. And I want to tell you something, and I, I don't know if I've told you this or not, I've said so many things, but it bears repeating. When you get to the judgment seat of Christ, God is not going to hold you accountable for what you, what you knew or what you didn't know. That's not going to be the issue, and you need to understand that. God is not going to hold you accountable based on what you knew or what you didn't know. God is going to hold you accountable for what you could have found out but didn't. Because when you get saved, you have within you, and I've said this before, you've had within you the Holy Spirit of God and you have the Word of God, and that alone is everything you need to find out everything God wants you to do. So when you get there, it's not going to be an issue of what you know or what you didn't know. You're not going to say to God, well, I didn't know that. Because you're going to have the ability and you have the ability to find out everything you need to find out about God and what God wants you to do. That's why these six questions. Notice how he begins to ask them. How? How hast thou? How hast thou? How hast How? How? Not whether, whether you did or you didn't, but how? And that brings us to the last question today, which is really, I mean, as I said earlier, it's going to be, uh, for those of you that are here today, if you're paying attention, you're going to get a lot of things answered that, that maybe you just thought about, especially some of you younger Christians that are trying to put a relationship to God together, and that's what we're trying to accomplish here. Because the question we're going to deal with today is the last question found there in verse 4, and it simply says this, And whose spirit came from thee? Whose spirit came from thee? Father... We thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask you now, Father, to bless us today. And uh, we uh, come to the Word of God today looking for some great things, Lord, to help us understand uh, today uh, what you're doing in our lives. Help us to be found faithful in all that we do. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. For his sake we ask it. Amen. Now, as I said, we have a great opportunity today to see, teach you some great principles about uh, this particular question. Now, I don't know what you know, and probably one of the most confusing subjects that you're ever going to get into uh, in the Bible is trying to sit down and figure this thing out about the body, soul, and the spirit. Now, we know that man is a trichotomy. We know that the Bible says, in gen and this is the definitive verse in the Old Testament. We know in the Old Testament, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, we know that the Bible says that God made man out of the dust of the ground, 
and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. God made man out of the dust of the ground, there his body, breathed into his life the breath of life, nostrils, the breath of life, man's spirit, and man became a living soul. So we know that much. We know that man is a body, is a soul, and is a spirit. And this is without a doubt, in all of the things that, that I've studied in the Bible, read about everybody else wrote on in the Bible, and hearing what is said today, without a doubt, the most confusing issue today for most of God's people is sorting all this stuff out. For instance, what is your body? I mean, what is your body? What is your soul? What's your spirit? I mean, when you hear somebody talk about the fact that, that my conscience really bothers me, are they talking about the body? Are they talking about the soul? Or are they talking about the spirit? Which is it? Or is it all three? When somebody says, well, you know what? I've changed my mind, or I've got a mind to do this, or I've got in my mind, what is the mind? Is that your body? Is the mind your soul? Or is the mind your spirit? Somebody says, well, you know what? He's got a great heart. Does that mean you just went to the doctor and was on the treadmill and it's okay? What is your heart? Is it this organ you got in your breast that pumps blood to your, through your circulatory system? Is, is that your heart? Or is your body your heart? Is your soul your heart? Is your spirit your heart? I remember, just to show you a point of illustration, years ago, when I first got into the ministry, I, I, you know, we had, they called us in for a staff meeting. And this was back when the first heart transplant was ever done. Now, this shows you how long ago this was. This was a long time ago. And the first heart transplant had just been completed successfully. I don't think the guy lived more than a couple of weeks after that. But back then, you know, they didn't have all the pipe fittings that they got now to put you back together. And, and, and his body rejected. He died shortly thereafter. But be that as it may, they successfully took a heart out of this man and put it in this man, and this guy lived, and that was the beginning of what is really common and ordinary today for you to get a heart transplant. I mean, back then it was a megaton thing. Today it's no big deal, like having your appendix out. Maybe a little more complicated than that. I could take your appendix out. I don't think I could take your heart out. Well, I could take it out. I'm not sure I could get it back all hooked up the right way. But anyway, I'll never forget this. We were called into staff meeting, and it was a very serious thing. And we all sat around the table, and the pastor, I remember, he took off his glasses, and he says, today, he said, we need to be prepared for our congregation's questions. He says, we are faced with a dilemma today that is unparalleled in the history of Christianity. And I'm thinking, whoo, what happened, man? I mean, did the Lord come back and we miss it or what? I mean, uh, you know, and he said, and everybody's looking shocked, and we're all looking at each other, you know. And, and he says, here's the issue. Theologically, this is the issue. What happens? We all know that a heart transplant was taken today and, and, and over this weekend. What happens? We must be prepared to deal with the theological issue of what happens if an unsaved man gets the heart from a saved person. Or what if? One of our people in our congregation has to have a heart transplant, and they get a heart transplant, and he gets the heart of an unsaved person. How are we going to deal with that? 
Now, now I didn't know a lot about it, a lot of things back then. But I looked at that guy, and I didn't say anything because I didn't want to lose my job. But I looked at that guy, and I thought to myself, you are the biggest idiot I have ever heard in my life. And then, before I could even get that thought out of my mouth, the next issue came up. We had some really spiritual guys. Somebody said, sitting down at the end, well, preacher, that's, you're right. But what, because everybody back there wanted to, uh, wanted to be, you know, it was one of those brown nose deals where everybody wanted to, uh, uh, you know, buddy up to the guy. And, and somebody else said, preacher, what an amazing thing. And you're right. Have you considered the concept that what happens if they do brain transplants? What if one of our people, and in this case, I'm thinking, man, would that be a great asset in your life? Can you get one of those this afternoon? What if we get a, what if a saved man gets an unsaved brain? Well, in his case, maybe you'd have some common sense. I don't know. But you know what? That's the issue. That's how people think about it. And I don't think in all of my life, other than maybe two guys that I know, maybe three, I don't think I have ever heard a pastor or a preacher, I was going to say evangelist, but they never preach anything about the Bible. They just go around and preach with their favorite message. I have never heard anybody, other than maybe three or four guys in my life, ever have this thing laid out. And it seems to be a confusing issue, but it's just like all other issues. If you just use the Bible and stick with the Bible, the Bible defines itself very clearly. Now, for those of you that don't know where I'm at with this, before I go any farther and you have a heart attack this morning, let me just say, it's okay if you get a heart transplant. If you're saved this morning and you have to get a heart transplant, if you get a heart transplant out of an unsaved man, it is okay. It's Just get a good one. It's okay. It's like the age-old question. Well, I don't think a Christian ought to be cremated. And? Well, I just think that that's, that's just a... You see, we get these concepts in our heads because we don't read our Bibles, and we read everybody else in the world. I mean, we'll go out and read ten books on body, soul, and spirit before we ever pick up the book on it. And then we wonder why everybody out there is confused. Well, I'm going to, and I'm telling you, I meant what I said. This is a message that you need to get down wherever you're at because I'm telling you, when you leave here today, there won't be any doubt in your mind about the thing and you'll not have to lay awake tonight hoping that you don't, uh, you know, uh, you know, don't have to worry about getting a heart transplant. And, uh, you know, you can go ahead and sign your back of your license this afternoon, you know, that if you die in a car crash, they can have your eyes, your ears, or whatever. In some cases, forget the years. But you can have, you know, whatever organs they need. Be an organ donor, you know, and all of that. But I'm just telling you, we're just going to use the Bible. Let me just say this to you. Now, we know that an unsaved man. Now, here's what we do know. Here's what we do know. We know that an unsaved man has a body. An unsaved man has a soul. And the unsaved man does have a spirit, but it is a dead spirit. In other words, it's not really alive. Now, we're not going to get into it today, but God in the Bible has His own definitions of death and life. 
And they're different from what we think of death and life. An unsaved man is dead, yet he is alive, physically. But you see, death and life with God has never been about physical. It's always about spiritual. Spiritually, an unsaved man is alive, but he's, uh, he's alive physically, but he's dead spiritually. Because his spirit is dead. And we know that his soul and his flesh are stuck together. So he has a flesh, he has a soul that is stuck together, and he has a dead spirit that cannot commune with God. It cannot get anything from the Bible. It can't get anything uh, in his life. It's it just, it's dead. Now, it's alive in the sense of, of society. And we'll talk about that in a minute. All right. The moment he gets saved. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. You don't have to turn to it. You can write it down because uh, I'm going to give you a lot of things today. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. The Bible talks about an operation made without hand. There isn't 20 preachers in the country who know or believe about the operation made without hands. This is called spiritual circumcision in the Bible. It is a spiritual circumcision based on the literal circumcision that took place in the Old Testament. The Old Testament model back there physically is a picture of everything physically that's going to be spiritually. And in the Old Testament... When a man was born, he lived for eight days. On the eighth day, they took him and they took a knife and with a physical operation made with hands, they cut off the foreskin and circumcised him physically. Now, that was a sign for Israel. That was a sign for Israel that they were to be different than everybody else. In other words, God cut God had the men cut the flesh on a portion of their anatomy that had to do with seed and with birth. And when that transpired physically, God said it's a sign. It is a sign. And it is a sign to show that you are different from the rest of the world. So, you find in the Bible we're talking about the Philistines who are a type of unsaved people. They call them uncircumcised because they were. And they are a picture of unsaved people where the people in the, in the nation of Israel who are circumcised were a picture of New Testament people. Okay, in the New Testament the Bible says there's a spiritual circumcision that takes place that has to do with your flesh, that has to do with incorruptible seed, the Word of God. It has to do with birth, the new birth. In the Old Testament, they were literally circumcised on the eighth day. Number eight in your Bible is the number of new beginnings. So it is a picture of a new beginning, just like it is a, a, a spiritual rebirth, is a picture of your new birth and your new beginning of a new creature in Christ Jesus. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Now that he's saved, and this operation made without hands, versus the operation in the Old Testament that was made with hands, one is literal, one is spiritual. Now that he is saved, his flesh, and this is what happens, when spiritual circumcision takes place, the flesh is cut from the soul. 
In, Col in Colossians chapter 2, he talks about putting off the body of sins. And the flesh and the soul that were once stuck together are now separated. And the Holy Spirit of God now comes in and takes up residency inside that person's soul. And he seals that soul, Ephesians chapter 4. And that soul now cannot sin. Because that soul, it is what is born again in your life. Your body is not born again. Your spirit is not born again. The only thing that is really saved about you is your soul. And that which is born of God doth not commit sin. Your flesh can sin after you're saved. Your spirit can sin after you're saved. Your soul cannot sin after you're saved. Alright? Now let's define man's spirit. Job chapter 26, verse 4 says, And whose spirit came from thee? Now, in the Bible, there are four spirits that man can be associated, or three of them man can be associated with. But in the Bible, there are four spirits listed. All other spirits come from these four spirits. Good, bad, or indifferent. The first spirit that we find in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 21, is the spirit in an animal or a beast. Your dog has a spirit. Your cat has a spirit. Your canary has a spirit. Your goldfish has a spirit. They do not have a soul. There is a big difference between the spirit and a soul. Animals, the book of Ecclesiastes says, has a spirit. And when your animal dies, the Bible says the spirit goes downward. Man has a spirit. And the Bible says when man dies, whether he's saved or he's lost, his spirit goes back to God. Why? Because the spirit of man, saved or lost, is life. It's life. It's the light. You wouldn't be alive without that spirit. And that spirit came from God. And the Bible says that God, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9, is the father of all spirits. Meaning he is the supreme being in the universe and all spirits are subject unto him. So an animal has a spirit. Man has a spirit. It is life from God that makes you alive. And when you die, your soul goes to heaven or hell based on your decision with Christ. Your body goes to the grave. And the breath of life that does nothing more but give you the life and the ability in life goes back to God, saved or lost. Now, keep that thought. Second spirit we have to deal with are unclean spirits. Unclean spirits. Unclean spirits are Demonic forces. We'll call them devils from the Bible's definition. We know, very quickly, we know that once upon a time, the devil was not the devil. He was Lucifer. And he was over all the creation of God. And we know that he fell. And when he fell, the Bible says, that he took a third of the angels with him who became disembodied spirits. 
They became disembodied spirits. They have no body. They are spirits. They are influences. And now they make up what we commonly call today the demon world. The Bible calls them devils with a small d, the devil with a big d. So whether you're little d or big d, you're an unclean spirit in that sense. Then we have God's Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God which goes into man that separates him and seals him and gives God, gives man the ability to, to be able to have fellowship with God. Then we have man's spirit. Whether you're saved or you're lost, man has a spirit. When you're unsaved, it's a dead spirit. What does that mean? It means you simply cannot have any fellowship, relationship with God. When you are saved, you now become, uh, you, when you get saved, now your spirit becomes alive. Let's look at it. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 27. Great verse in the Old Testament on the spirit. The Bible says, The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. The Bible says that man's spirit, in an unsaved man, is his life. It is the driving force. It is what gives man the ability to make choices and decisions. Not concerning God, but concerning life. Man's spirit is the driving force that makes him drag himself out of the most utter situations and overcome them. And you see it in people. You see some guy who's lost, he doesn't want to work. He wants everybody in the world to support him. You see somebody else that comes out of the same ghetto and he makes it to the top and makes a million dollars. Why? He has a drive in him that drives him. This man has no drive. They both have spirits, but they're dead spirits. But they have the ability within the sinful world to make great strides. Somebody over here gets shot down in, in a desert. Somebody over here gets shot down in another desert. One guy dies in two days. The other guy lives 40 days without hardly any water, nothing to eat, and he survives. Why? We call it the will to live. No, 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 no. That's the spirit of man. The spirit of man is a driving force. It is the will to survive. It is what every man and woman has, whether they're saved or lost, that makes life either good or bad, and you look at life, and it drives you. But you don't have the ability to make any right decision for God. You have the ability to make right decisions for the stock market. You have the ability to make right decisions. Well, I'm going to keep on going. I'm going to get to the top of Mount Everest because nobody else has. That's the spirit of man. You know what Charles Lindbergh called his plane when he, in 1927 when he flew across the Atlantic by himself without anybody and did something that everybody in the world, everybody in the world thought it was absolutely impossible. You know what he called it? He called it the spirit of St. Louis. 
You know why? Because inside Lucky Lindy was a spirit that drove him to do what nobody else could do. The tragedy is probably Lucky Lindy had the great ability in a human sense to find, to find Paris, France, navigating with just a little magnetic compass, was very crucial on gas. He had the ability to find Paris, France, but he didn't have the ability to find God. Because man's spirit will leave you short every time. Because man's spirit in its human form gives you life. It gives you the ability in life to make choices and decisions. But you cannot make any lasting eternal decision based on a dead spirit. All right? Suddenly man gets saved. Now, the Holy Spirit of God comes. It Cuts away the soul and the flesh. It gives the, it gives, it gives, it gives life to that soul. And now man, his spirit becomes alive. It's illuminated by the Word of God. Now he has the ability. Now he has the ability to make life changing, eternal decisions based on an absolute standard where before he could make life changing decisions based on a faulty standard. He now has the ability to affect his destiny. A saved man with a lighted spirit now has the ability to form his own spiritual destiny where an unsaved man only has the ability through his dead spirit to to form his life in the stock market or his career or his family or what kind of car he buys. Or whether he's going to make it to the top of Mount Everest or to the bottom of the Marianas Trench. Whether he's going to uh, make a DC-7 like the Wright Brothers plane to fly. Or whether he's going he's to go out and try to find, do some great uh, scientific discovery. That's man's spirit limited to this earth. When you get saved, you have the ability now to make decisions based on your spirit becoming alive. But your spirit is never saved in the sense that your, uh, that your soul is. A, a, a saved man's spirit goes back to God just like an unsaved man's spirit goes back to God. Because if an unsaved man in hell, he doesn't need a spirit. Luke chapter 16 says the man down there in hell, he's got a body. That's your soul. He's got memory. He's got eyes. He's got tongues. He's got everything he needs to burn. But his spirit's back with God. And when you, because you're saved, you don't need your spirit. When you get your glorified body, you're going to be God's spirit. You don't need your spirit anymore. Now, after salvation, you have within your spirit the ability to make the right choice. And you know what, folks? Saved or unsaved, life is about choices. It is. Now, you'd think that, you'd think, now that you're saved, you just make all the right choices. Wouldn't you? I mean, you got the Word of God, the Holy Spirit of God's living inside you. Why do you and I make bad choices? Why, after we're saved, do we still make bad choices? I mean, if your spirit's saved and your soul's saved and all you've got to deal with is your body... Why do we make bad? What is the determining factor? What is the rudder of your ship? 
You know what a big old ship out there? You ever see that big old ship 6,000 miles long has a rudder 20 feet? A little rudder will turn left or right, up and down, a big old ship out there a million times its size. You know what? Your spirit destines you before you're saved, one way or the other, after you're saved, one way or the other. Now let's get the terminology down here. Well, we got to close. We'll finish this next week. No, I'm not. Let's get the terminology down. Your body. Your body. Your body is your flesh. Your body is your flesh. It's as simple as that. And about your flesh, the Bible says, saved or unsaved dwelleth no good thing. Your flesh is wicked. My flesh is wicked. All right? Your soul. Your soul would be your conscience. Your soul would be the seat of your emotions, Luke chapter 16. If you want to use the terminology, he's got a good heart, it's talking about your soul. It's talking about your soul. You see, that's why an unsaved man, even though he's lost, and he can't make the right decisions about God, he can have a conscience that bothers him when he steals something, or he does something, or he kills somebody. It can come back on him in an unsafe state, and it can bother his conscience because his soul, even though it's stuck to his flesh, is his real heart. And the Bible says, on a saved or unsaved man, God has written the Word of God on the tables of his heart. So when an unsaved man has a guilty conscience, it's because in that soul, in that heart, is enough of the Bible to give him a right or wrong concept. And God uses his spirit as the point of contact. Because the spirit is your mind. Your spirit is the ability to choose right or wrong. Your spirit is your ability to make decisions. But your flesh is not saved, and your spirit is not saved. Your flesh can sin, and your spirit can sin. But your soul is sealed unto the day of redemption. Let me end it for you. Some of you may be saying right now, mm, let me end it for you. Let me just give you the bullet right between the eyes that will fix it for you. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own, you're bought with a price, right? Therefore, glorify God in your body, and your spirit, which are God's. How come he didn't say glorify God in your body, soul, and spirit? Why did he say glorify God because of what I just said, and you're bought with a price? Why do you and I have to glor work at every day glorifying God in my flesh and my spirit, but I don't have to worry about my soul? I don't have to worry and work about glorifying God in my soul. Do you know why? Because my soul is separated and sealed under the day of redemption. My body and my spirit are not. And every day I have to work at glorifying God in my body and in my spirit because my spirit 
is the feeding tube to my new nature or my old nature. Whatever I do my spirit to, and keep in mind I talk about there was, there was, there was an unclean spirit, there was God's spirit, there's man's spirit, and there's the animal spirit. Forget your dog right now. You and I can be influenced by three of these. Man's spirit, an unclean spirit, and God's spirit. I don't have to worry about glorifying God in my soul. I have to worry about every day glorifying God in my body, my flesh, and my spirit. Because that is where the issue is. Now this is why in the New Testament, if you're paying attention, you will find, you will find all the verses pertaining to your spirit used totally different than your soul. Paul says in Romans chapter 1 verse 9, he says, God is his witness whom I serve with my spirit. You know why? Because it's a choice. You have a choice to serve God with your spirit as a Christian, or you can serve the world. And you know how I know that's true? Because there's so many wicked, godless Christians out there. There has to be some kind of negotiator in man that goes between his flesh and his soul, that whichever way you turn the rudder, your spirit is the way you go. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, he says, For ye have not received again the spirit of bondage. Well, some God's people have. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 18, Paul speaking, he says, talking about the church at Corinth, he says, they have refreshed me, they have refreshed me in my spirit. You know what? You can't refresh my soul. You can't. You cannot do anything that will make my soul happier than it already is. You can't. Now, if I'm down in the dumps and I'm having a rough day, I promise you this. It is not because there's anything wrong with my sealed soul. But I'm not going to tell you there isn't something wrong with my unsealed spirit. You ever know how you feel after, well, maybe I shouldn't speak for you. But I know how I feel after Thursday night Bible study. I know how I feel after Sunday morning after we preach. And I can't speak for you. But I know I'm about as, I can hear somebody preach the Word of God, or I can even just read the Word of God, or I can just spend time coming through the Word of God. And when I'm done, you know what? I could really care about in life what happens. When I got up this morning, I was ecstatic when I turned on the radio and found out they had gotten Saddam Hussein. Oh, I was walking around, I was going, hmm! I, was, I, mean, I, mean, uh, I mean, it was a great time. The dogs were bouncing around and they were happy and everybody was just, of course, you give them a biscuit and they'll be happy about anything. But we, everybody, when I went up the bar, we were high-fiving, you know, and we were, barbers running their nighty up and down the street down there waving an American flag. I said, honey, get in here! <laughs> Sight to behold. Anyway, but you know what? I said, okay, Bob, settle down here. Settle down. Settle down. Get in the car. Go find your wife. Get her back to the house and settle down. 
You know what I did? I said, okay, turn it off. I got to go throw some stuff here and get ready for this morning. Pray. When I was done in about 30 minutes, I went, laid this thing out some more. I prayed. I, you know what? When I was done in 30 minutes, I didn't give a flip about Saddam Hussein. I just want to get here to preach the Bible. Now, I promise you, there wasn't a difference between my soul before and after, but there was a difference in my spirit. Because my spirit is like your spirit. It's like the rudder of a ship. It's like the feeding tube to your new nature or your old nature. Whichever way you point it is the way you go. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 22, The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. You'll never show me any place in the Bible where he said, The Lord be with your soul. You'll never find out where he said, Well, they refreshed my soul. No, no. Man, my soul is fixed. If I'm not, if my, if I'm not having a good day in the Lord, it isn't my soul's problem. It's my spirit's problem. You see, this is why the Bible says in 1 John that we as believers are to try the spirits and find out if they're of God or not. Try them. Don't let them into your life till you see what they're made of. Try the spirits. Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 16, the Spirit, God's Spirit, itself beareth witness with my Spirit that I am the Son of God. Well, there it is. He didn't bear witness with my soul. He didn't bear witness with my soul that I'm saved. My soul is sealed. I don't have a problem with that. My soul can't sin. My flesh can sin. And my spirit can sin depending on which way I wag the tail. Which way I turn that rudder. And so as a believer, I am to try the spirits. All right. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23. Definitive verse in the New Testament. It tells you and me definitively. Not Bob's definition. Not, well, that was a great message, but I think he just made some things up. No, 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 no. Let's go to the Bible. Bob doesn't make anything up. Not when it comes to the Bible. If I got pulled over by a state trooper, I'd make it up, say, well, I was only going 50 in a 65-mile-an-hour zone. But not when it comes to the Bible. He says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So when you get saved, God separates your flesh from your soul. Your soul gets sealed. He gives life to your spirit, and now you have the ability to choose to make decisions based on the Word of God. You know what it comes back to? That's that whole thing about attitude and action I told you about. Attitude and action. Same thing. Where it goes back to. You are today what your attitude is. Your attitude is today where you have lent your spirit. Whatever you have bonded your spirit to is where you're at. If you bonded your spirit to pornography, you've got a problem with pornography. I don't care if you're saved or not. If you bonded your spirit to alcoholism, then you got a drinking problem today. I don't care if you're saved or not. It has nothing to do with that. And yes, your soul is sealed and it's going to heaven. But I'm telling you right now, your spirit's a different thing. 
It's a different thing. And the action you produce today is based on your attitude you built yesterday. And that attitude is based solely on where you directed your spirit after you were saved because you now have the ability to go toward God or go the other way. You can go with your, ma- your human spirit and get all your education and your philosophy and all of that and stay there. You can go with God's spirit and let His mind become your mind. And that's what the Bible's talking about. That's what it's saying. Your spirit is your mind. And that's why we have the mind of Christ. And that's why you're to let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You take His mind, line it up with your mind, your spirit, and you make the right decisions. Because you have the right attitude. Your spirit, you hear a lot of things about man's a free moral agent, free will of man, free will of man. You're right. After you're saved, you are, you always have a free will. Life is always about choices and you will make the right choice or the wrong choice after you're saved based on what you bond your spirit with. Now that's why, and there's a great answer there, why you have so many wicked Christians who are going to go to heaven and you're going to be there in heaven and get a rude awakening of the of Christ, but while they're on this earth, they are the most wicked, vengeful people you have ever met in your life because of the fact that they have lined their spirit up with the wrong things. They hate the Bible They hate anybody that preaches the Bible. They hate anything that has to do with God. They have a form of godliness. They go to church. They give a church. They do all the right things. But the bottom line is, deep down inside, their spirit is not bonding with God's spirit. It's bonding with their flesh. Or worse. Which brings up the age-old question. Oh, we're getting a lot of things out of the way today. Can a Christian now be demon-possessed? You see? I mean, you've got, you've got the, you've got the body. You've got the soul separated from the flesh, and now you've got the spirit. And we know that you can join your spirit to the devil's spirit. We know you can join your spirit to an unclean spirit. You say, do you believe that all homosexuals are going to die and go to hell? No, I believe there are some homosexuals who are saved. I don't think they got saved after they became homosexuals. I mean, I guess it could happen. I guess. No, I don't think it could. I don't know. But I know that. I, I believe that they were saved. I believe the Jehovah Witness today, they're going to be in heaven. Not because they're part of the 144,000. I believe that there are the worst, vilest people in this world going to be in heaven. But it's because at some point in their life they truly got saved. And from that point on, whatever the reason, they didn't get discipled, they didn't get into the Word of God, whatever. They lent their spirit to something else. And they turned their spirit and they played with the flesh. They played with the world. They never read the book of Ecclesiastes because we know that the Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes that once a man tries out the world, he comes to the conclusion that it is vexation of spirit. So when you get into the Bible and you read the Bible and you understand you have a body, bad. You have a spirit, either way, and you have a soul sealed. You have
have to get that mind in this book, put it in you, and when you do that, you think like God and you lend your spirit and His spirit bears witness with your spirit that you are a son of God and you can now try the spirits and you can figure out if it's phony in ten seconds. And if you don't, and you lend it to the flesh, you lend it to the world, you lend it to the devil, then you're like Proverbs 25, 28, he that hath no rule over his own spirit. Shitty broken down without walls. No defense. God feeds your spirit with the word of God by your own choice to give you the ability to override your filthy flesh. And the more you spend, that's why I am absolutely willing to spend time with anybody who just trying to learn the Bible, to spend time helping you because I understand the crucialness of this. I understand how the other influences, other spirits can come in and drag you away, hurt you, pull you down, misguide you. And that's why it's so crucial to get in the Word of God that somebody help you understand how to get your spirit lined up with God's Spirit. Because it will overcome those things. Hey, I'm just like you. And we all struggle with things. And I come downstairs with my purpose, you know, and, and I wanna, I'm gonna read my Bible and I'm gonna study my Bible, and I'm, I'm all, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart, you know, and I can't wait to get down there, and I, and I come down there, and you know, I walk over, and the TV's on, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it, and petting the dogs a little bit, and I kinda look at TV, and there, oh, there it is. Sands of Iwo Jima. Whew. Not your variety porno type movie. I like the line. I like the movie. Nothing wrong with it. It's not going to throw me into deep sin. But oh, I'll tell you what, it'll keep you out of the Word of God. You see, when God, there's times in your life when God said, Bob, I got something for you. Let's go downstairs and I won't give it to you. And the ABC, NBC, CBS programmer called the devil just knows that Audie Murphy, John Wayne, or somebody is going to be on that thing. And I'm faced with a decision. I am faced with a decision. I, I know this is a simple illustration. You can apply it in any area of your life. I'm now faced with a decision. Maybe it's a football game. Maybe it's the World Series. Maybe it's the Stanley Cup. I don't know who Stanley is, but, it may, but, but maybe, maybe it's something along those lines. Whatever your kicker is, whatever trips your trigger housing, whatever you, wherever you're at. But for me, it's going down there and boom, 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 boom. Oh, and I sit there. First, here's my first downfall. I don't sit on the couch. I sit on the coffee table. That's saying to myself, I'm only going to see this for just a second, and then I'm going to get with you, God. Because if I get on the couch, it's over. Sit down there, watch it. Well, Oh, I got five minutes. This, oh, I want to see. I just want to see this part. You know, the next thing happens. Movie's over. Oh, you're tired. Well, Lord, we'll pick it up tomorrow. I'm sure you understand. God said, "No, I don't understand." Now, that's all of us. Here's the way it should be. Down the steps. 
Oh, God, man, you're going to get in the Word of God. Hi, Tinker, how you doing? Hey, buddy, how you doing, big guy? Hi, Daisy, how you doing? Dun, 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 dun. Oh, man. Stands of Iwo Jima. Whew. Sorry. I got something I got to do. See that? Now, that's real simple. But there lies the difference between success with God, failure with God. Simple as that. As simple as that. You know what gives you the ability to do that? Where your spirit's directed. If you build up, hey, your spirit with God's word is like money in the bank. In dry times, when temptation comes, you got something to spend. Don't put any money in the bank, you don't. It's as simple as that. You're not a superman. I'm not a superman. And when you think you are, you're going to fall. No, no, no. It is about building your relationship with God based on understanding biblical principles and getting the fact that what your flesh is, what your soul is, and what your spirit is, and realize that you feed your spirit, and you it's your mind, and your mind feeds your heart, and it all goes together, and when you separate them out and you see them, you guide your body right to the things of God. And you have the ability then. And that's why he says, whose spirit came from thee? Whose spirit? At the judgment seat of Christ, he's going to want to know, was it your own spirit? You think there aren't churches built in this country that are absolutely unbelievable? If you walked in and you saw them and you'd see everything going on and you see the people and the choirs and all this stuff happening and everything around in any state in this city, in this country, you could say, and those things aren't built by men, by their own flesh and their own desires and their own agendas? Well, sure they are. And I'm telling you, I'll never forget one time we were going, we were going, we were going driving down New York and there was a, and I was with Mel Sabaka and we were driving down through there and there was a big old sign down there that said, Watchtower! And it said, Jehovah Witnesses, 2,000 million strong! Pretty impressive. 200 million people in one religion? Pretty impressive. If you don't know what you're talking about, the old man popped me in the shoulder and looked me over in the face and said, God will give you anything in the world if you just deny Jesus Christ is God. You think churches aren't built big by unsaved people? They are. You think in your life and my life that we can't get a mix and match with that in our own lives and do things that are kind of Christian but not kind of Christian, get the wrong motive, get the right atti wrong attitude, get this, get that? You think as God's people we cannot vex our spirit because of the way we lend our spirit? You hang out with the wrong crowd? You know what? In time, you're going to think like the wrong crowd. And, and there comes a time in your life, there comes a time in our lives where we have to decide we aren't going to walk both sides of the road. You're going to have to stay on the white line and stay on it, and it's just going to have to happen. And if you lose some friends, you lose some friends. If you lose a boyfriend, then you lose some boyfriend. If you lose a girlfriend, playing the game on both sides just isn't going to work because it is going to make your spirit vulnerable. I look at the TV... You look into her eyes. And she says, or he says, you know, I, I just don't, 
I just don't feel like going to church this morning. Why don't we just go someplace else or do this or do that? Or I don't feel like going to Bible study tonight. And you've got to make a choice. You have got to make a decision. At some point in your life, you have to stand up and be the man or the woman God wants you to be. And that simply means you have to take a stand and say, hey, you know what? It ain't going to be this way. It is not going to be this way. I am not going to join my spirit to that. I love you. I think you're wonderful. But you know what? I love him more. And just as you have to turn off Sands of Iwo Jima, you've got to shut him or her off. Or whatever it is in life. There comes a point in your life and my life that we just have to take a stand. And you have to say, this is what I'm going to do. I am going to join my spirit to God's spirit. And I am going to glorify God in my body and in my spirit as best I can till Jesus comes back. And that means you can't just say it. you got to turn it off. Because there's coming a day when he's not only going to ask, how hast thou helped him that without power? He won't just be inquisitive on how savest thou the arm that hath no strength. He won't just be tibbing around saying, how hast thou counseled him that hath no wisdom? Or how hast thou plainly cared the thing as it is? Or to whom hast thou uttered words? He's going to ask you, oh, by the way, one other thing, because this is the crux of the whole thing. Because if you get this one wrong, it's all wrong. Whose spirit came from you? God's, yours, or the devil's? For some of God's people, it's going to be the devil's spirit. They're wicked. Some of God's people, it's just going to be your own spirit. You're just lustful. And for some of God's people, it's going to be God's spirit. That doesn't mean you're perfect. That doesn't mean you're not going to make mistakes. It means you recognize within you, your body, your soul, and your spirit. And once you understand what they are, you can better use them for the honor and glory of God, knowing what to do with what. Now, I'm just telling you this morning. My prayer was that everybody would be here, that everybody could hear this message. But you know what? That's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. Some people are sick. Some people just don't care. That's the way it is. I understand that. I knew that going in. But I'm telling you this. If you are ever going to be what you need to be with God, you're going to have to come to the point in your life where you decide. And it starts, now see, up to this point, it was all okay because a lot of you, some of you did, but a lot of you didn't know anything about this and the body, soul, and spirit were just one of those big hazy clouds. It ain't that way anymore. You now are accountable. So maybe it is a bad thing you're here today. Maybe the other ones were smarter than we are, or so they think. God won't hold you accountable for what you know or you didn't know. He'll hold you what you could have found out today, but you decided not to come. I'm telling you, the judgment seat of Christ is not called the terror of the Lord because the Holy Spirit of God was just trying to be creative and poetic. And if you're going to build a relationship with God, and my job is to help you, I love you with all of my heart. I'd do anything in the world for you. I'll spend whatever time it takes. I will do, I will break my back trying to help you get there because I believe you're committed. But the bottom line is, when it's all said and done, it's still your choice. You're the only one that can choose which way your spirit's going to go. You are the captain of your ship. 
Father, we thank you and praise you for Jesus. We love you. Pray you'll take what we've talked about today. Lord, challenge our hearts. Help us to see and understand all that we have. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Lord, I know it's a busy time of the year. I know people are sick. I pray for them, Lord. I pray for all of them, Lord. I pray that you'll help them, Lord, feel better today. And I know, Lord, there's a, this is a terrible time of the year with all of the stuff that's going around. And Lord, I pray for our dear people who are legitimate people who love this church and who love the Word of God. And I pray you'll comfort them in whatever their need may be. And yet at the same time, Lord, I ask you to help us understand where we're at. Because, Lord, we don't want to be just like all the other churches. We don't want to just play it. I don't. I just soon go back to my family and my house and just teach the Bible to them and do it what's right if, if we don't want to do it what's right. I'm not interested in getting into a sham ever again where it just plays the game. Either we're going to do it right or we're not going to do it at all as far as I'm concerned. And I pray, Father, you'll help us, that you'll help us focus on all that we have to do. Help us to realize how important it is to hear the Word of God taught and preached. And, Lord, it ain't like we're here every night. It's, Lord, we're here. Uh, and, Lord, I know people work at night, and I know that they can't be here. But, Lord, there's the opportunity to get together, to get the Word of God other than that. I'm not saying, Lord, that it's a system that you've got to be here on Thursday night when people have to work. Uh, I'm saying, Lord, there are avenues that we can use to get the Word of God to people outside the schedule. It's not a matter of how we do it. God, it's only a matter that we do it to help train men and women the way they need to be trained in the Word of God. We love you, Lord, and I love you, and I thank you for today. And I pray, Father, you'll continue to bless. Lord, we look forward to next Sunday, our communion service here in this building, our time over Christie's, Lord, such godly, dear people, Lord. And I, and I pray, Father, you'll just, you'll, just, you'll just bless our time. Bring people out, Lord. Let us just have a great time. Lord, just let us love each other. And, Lord, spend this time of the year just a short moment. When all we got to do, let us have a short time just together. And, Lord, let us go minister to the old folks. Oh, we, there's not a lot we can do as ministry at this point. We have to focus internally with what we have. But, Lord, in the little areas that we can, let us, Father, be found faithful in, in, in touching, bringing a little joy to somebody's life. And, Lord, I just pray. I, I pray for New Year's, Lord, that you'll just let us look forward to that and and together we can talk about, Lord, some strategy of what we're going to do next year and, and what we want to accomplish and where we've been. And just give a report, Lord, and yet get into the Word of God, the most important thing in all of our lives. And, Lord, we just thank you for that. And we praise you in Jesus' name. For a sake we ask it. Amen. God bless you. Make sure now you sign up with everything you need to get signed up with. My daughter's up here. They're signed up in the back. There's maps back there for the Christie's place. And uh, I love you. God bless you. Be careful this week. Be careful going home today. And uh, 